Hey there, Jordan Sheridan with Tina Desiree Berg. It is Thursday, uh, January 20th. The year is 2022. I uh, hope everybody is having a lovely, lovely day in these trying times. COVID is still a thing, uh, even though our government and media uh, are bumping it down to you know the fifth or sixth story. Uh, but uh, Tina and I are, are going to rip through a couple important stories. I also have an interview uh, coming up a little bit later with somebody from the Debt Collective. Uh, so the Debt Collective has been really one of the main activist groups uh, lighting a fire under Biden's uh, very, very senior anus yeah. uh, to get him to <laughs> cancel uh, student loan debt. Uh, if you notice yesterday, if you were able to get through the whole two hour rigmarole of Biden, whatever that was, uh, at the end, they asked him, a reporter asked him, what about your promise to cancel $10,000 in student loan debt? And Biden did not answer. Uh, so we're going to talk to someone about that a little bit later. But Tina, how you doing, by the way? You haven't been feeling Much great. Doing okay today. I just have, you know, some nerve pain, which is going to be going on for a little while now. But other than that, I'm okay. I'm, yep. you know, listen. I'm glad that I'm vaccinated and boosted. This could have been could have been a hell of a lot worse. So really, that means you're just working with the CIA to kill us all. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I've been mapping the five G cell towers to the uh, what map are they using now in QAnon? I forget. There's some relationship I there. Non-vaxxers. I, I don't know. And I'm actually saving. I'm actually saving a folder. We won't do it today. I'm saving a folder to talk to you about like some batshit right wing conspiracy type stuff. Maybe we'll do that next week. Uh, everybody, press the like button right under this video. The more people that press like, the more people that will see this stream. Uh, please, please share this stream. I really appreciate it. If you don't know, it's been a busy week. Um, obviously, I broke a major Flint story on Monday with the Guardian. Uh, so I was able to go on with The Hill on that. I was able to go on with uh, Bad Faith with Brianna Joy Gray, uh, which I greatly appreciate. Uh, the Vanguard had me on, and I'm currently doing some other things trying to push out that story. Of course, the Michigan media and the national media are ignoring it, uh, yeah. even though uh, myself and Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Charlie LaDuff broke a pretty damn big story that basically the financial fraud that led to the poisoning of Flint uh, has been buried by the current yeah. prosecution, the current Flint water prosecution. So if you haven't read the story, it's at the top of my Twitter page right now. Uh, please retweet, share all those good things. And uh, yeah, please continue tweeting at some of the bigger independent outlets uh, to have me on because uh, we need to push this story out. Obviously, the corporate media is not going to share it. Uh, Tina, I wanted to start. We kind of touched on this yesterday, but I want to drill on it more. You know, Biden at his press conference, which he made it two hours, uh, I guess made it, uh, his yeah. body, his body was still there, his mind, whatever. Um, he, he won't say anything negative about cinema or mansion. Uh, but whenever he can, he just likes to get in digs at Bernie Sanders. Colin, if people didn't see this, can we show what Biden yeah. had to say yesterday? Uh, when asked if he's moving too far to the left. I don't know how that is pointed to the left. If you may recall, I, uh, you guys have been trying to convince me that uh, I am uh, um, Bernie Sanders. I'm not. I like him, but I'm not Bernie Sanders. I'm not a socialist. I'm a mainstream Democrat, and I have been. And mainstream Democrats have overwhelmed. If you notice, the 48 of the 50 uh, Democrats supported me in the Senate on virtually everything I've asked. Yeah. There's so many, <laughs> so many things wrong here. Instead of him taking a dig at Manchin, who is the guy he should be taking a dig at, he's taking a dig at Bernie Sanders, who has gone out of his way to support uh, Biden and his administration. He gracefully did that all the way through the rest of the campaign, even though Biden has continually uh, berated him. So it's just this to me was just like so classless. Like, come on, Biden, you can't get Manchin in line. You can't get Sinem in line. You should be using the bully pulpit to do that. But instead, you're going to say, I'm not Bernie Sanders. Fuck that guy. He's a socialist. I mean, just it's so tone deaf. Can't get them in line. Won't even try to get them in line. Won't, exactly. Won't even try to get them in line. I agree with you there. And in fact, let's go one step further. Manchin has been a problem for a long time. The Democratic Party knows exactly who this guy is. This is not happening out of left field, out of nowhere. They're, this right. is who this guy is. They know who he is. They have continued to prop him up time and time again in the past. They have 
made sure that any primary challenge that has come for him was abated. They have supported him financially. They have supported him in many ways. So for them to be doing this right now is just really shocking to me. It is, I mean, it shouldn't be, but it still is because it's like, my God, really, Bernie's the bad guy here? He's well, going to support you. I wanted to point out, I mean, maybe this is the, the worst we're going to get uh, or the or the most pushback. Hi, Tina's dog behind you. Um, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so the, the dog is the dog is pissed, too. So <laughs> I want to Bernie's communications director uh, put out a tweet. If you have that, yeah. Colin, uh, Bernie is, of course, one of those 48. So he was referring to when when Biden said 48 out of 50. Uh, senators have supported me on all my things. Uh, Bernie's communications director is pointing out, yeah, yeah, this socialist that you just kind of did a dig in, uh, yeah. he also supported you, which I'm not happy about, by the way. We're going to get into it. But if this isn't the final shot where Bernie Sanders finally says, you know, he likes to say enough, enough, uh, enough already. I mean, yeah. Bernie, you're 80 years old. How about a little goddamn dignity for God's sakes? How about a little respect for you, say, Bernie Sanders? I'm not like others. I'm not calling him a fraud, a sellout, this and that. But remember, Bernie Sanders said, let's yeah. get rid of Trump and we'll fight Biden on day one. But he has basically been twisting himself into a pretzel for a year to be diplomatic with Biden, to be inside the room. You know, there was reports that Bernie's in the White House. He's in the Oval as by talking to Biden. As Biden is negotiating with Mansion and Cinema, he has yeah. not called out Biden. And what are you? What? Are, what is Bernie Sanders getting for this loyalty? Nothing. nothing. Absolutely nothing, nothing, in my opinion. Yeah, no. And I think it's a bad look for Biden as well. Biden would not have won the presidency if it wasn't for the Bernie Sanders support, supporters begrudgingly, albeit begrudgingly, um, voting for him. You know, not in mass. Obviously, some people did vote third party. I have no doubt. But. Uh, he still gained enough of the Bernie Sanders contingency to win the election. And he would not have done that without him. So I find this to be a really flippant, bad response, you know, right. again, it, it, but it, it's just something the democratic party continually does, right? They want to do this like push pull thing with um, anybody that identifies as the leftist part of the party or leftist independence. These are two blocks that the democratic party needs to win elections. They are not going to win elections with just their base. There's simply not enough of them. Right. So you can't engage in this push-pull with them, though. Either you need their votes and you acknowledge that you need your votes, their votes and you do something to win them, or you just you know do this push-away thing and then accept what happens come what may. You lose elections. But they constantly try to play both sides of that. They blame them when they lose, but then that's because they pushed them away. Or right. they vote shame them if they don't get in line and support them regardless of the lesser evil. Like It's just ridiculous to me. And remember, folks, smash that like button right under the video. The more people that press the like button, the more people that will see this stream. Uh, I also, because Biden, I think he's got consultants, or I think in his, like, 1987 Washington, D.C. brain, yeah. they're buying into this bullshit that the reason Biden is, like, lower than the Titanic in the polls is because he's tried too much. He's been right. too ambitious, which is a joke. Which is uh, a joke. Yeah. And that he's moved too far left, so he's alienated the country. Not that nah. he hasn't actually delivered on any of those promises, so right. he's deflated the voting uh, populace. But I wanted to play this nauseating clip from uh, Morning Joe, uh, where Joe Scarborough is asking Biden's chief of staff, basically framing it this way, that, you know, did you guys move too far to the left, uh, if we could play that. Moderation is selling in the Democratic Party. So... Why is it that it seems time and time again, the president has overreached, moved too far left, and has not been able to bring those final two senators home? Well, first of all, I think the president is right in the middle of where the country is. You look at what's in our Build Back Better plan, bringing down the cost of childcare. I think that's a very moderate thing for families. Reducing the cost of prescription drugs, saying you shouldn't have to pay more than 35 bucks for insulin. I, I, don't, I think that's an all-American mainstream proposal. So again... Biden takes a dig at Bernie, and I think it was more than a dig. I mean, oh, I like, yeah, I kind of like you, but blah, 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 blah. That's kind of what you say to like, you know, yeah. uh, somebody you're trying to mock. Uh, yeah, I like him, but he's a little, you know, funky, this and that. Uh, but the, the media is picking up this nonsense because the yeah. media wants, like you said, constantly wants to blame the left uh, if, if things are going bad. 
Yeah. Uh, if things are going good, they want to say it's because he didn't move too far left. Uh, <laughs> he can't win, yeah. But, but even Biden's chief of staff, he doesn't knock that down. He just says, well, I think, you know, doing these mm -hmm. things is actually moderate, this and that. No, it's, well, actually, yeah. it's, it's, it's actually good for, like, it's what people want. That's right. Like, this is not, yeah, to say this stuff is too far to the left is ridiculous. After how much ground has been giving up, and, you know, the extraction of wealth from the work, working classes that has happened. I don't, this is modest proposals. They're not, they don't go far enough in many, uh, in many ways. And I, you know, it's like, here's the other thing that I can't wrap my head around that I see just, just continually for years upon years. If the Democratic Party decided to stop trying to serve two masters, meaning that they tried to do the bidding of the marginalized groups of the working classes and they also feel like they have to answer to the wealthy elites that are the big donors to the party, right? But these two groups, they're at each other's uh, odds. There's no way that you can have both of them satisfied at the same time because they have uh, different needs and different wants. So they can't continue down this path. If they chose this path, if they decided once and for all that we're going to be the party of the working class, of the poor, of the marginalized communities, and they really devoted themselves to that, they would find that they would have majority power for many years to come. And I don't know why that's not obvious to them. And here's the other thing. They don't really need this money over here. If Bernie Sanders did one thing, it showed the world that you could walk away from this money and still fully fund a campaign with individual donations. Would they have to, you know, work harder to get small amounts for more people? Yes, but it could be done. And it would right. it would absolutely put them into majority rule for a long time, in my opinion, because this is what the country needs, right? Right. Well, I think, you know, listen, I think Bernie plays a role here, too. You know, I think there's yeah. been unfair criticisms of Bernie. I don't think he's a fraud and a sellout and no, all this shit that, you know, people like Jimmy and others have said. I think that's ridiculous. But- there's room to criticize. I sure have. And yeah. the truth, the truth is, the truth is, uh, he's, he's basically, like I said before, just kind of had duct tape over his mouth. I think maybe he thought, well, Biden and I have a relationship from the good old days in the Senate and we're friends. And if I don't go public scorched earth against him for doing nothing, uh, maybe that will, uh, allow, you know, that'll have a better chance if I'm just diplomatic and work with right. him that he'll actually give us something. But it's not working because no, he's because he's literally moving further to the right. And now instead of actually going scorched earth and mansion and cinema, which Biden should have done seven to eight months ago. Now Biden is conceding that, yeah, we might have to break up the Build Back Better plan yeah. into smaller mm -hmm. increments. That's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. Which is, you know, in those smaller increments will be, you know, a coupon for a family of four to Denny's. And we're going to yeah. sell that as transformative. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, literally, right. that's what's coming. Yeah. That's what's the coming. other thing that's going to go away is the community college finance. I guarantee that won't pass. Like, there's a handful of things that if they break up this bill, have has a snowball chance of hell in getting through. And these are things that we need in this country. I mean, honestly, this was a modest proposal. Community college, that's a modest proposal. I, you know, I had uh, recently just anecdotal personal thing. My niece uh, did her first two years at a community college and then transferred to a four-year university to save money on tuition. And I was like shocked at how expensive community college has become. Do you know, Jordan, I paid less tuition at UC, at the UC, I paid less tuition than what she was paying at a junior college. That's insane. Like right. that's where we're at in the country though. So again, you know, the country has extracted money from all of these things that were once fully financed, that were once considered part of the common good, right? I think education isn't uh, is an investment in society. I don't think it's giving away free money at all. When they frame it that way, it infuriates me. And they've decided that they didn't need to do that anymore. So part and parcel to that is you end up with uh, a less educated population, which I suppose in some ways serves their interests. But it certainly doesn't serve the long-term uh, interests or the viability of capitalism if they want to save it. You know what I'm saying? Right. But, the but other is there thing also... too far? I don't know. I mean... The other thing also is, and Colin, if you have those tweets uh, on the Mansion tweets that I sent you, but this is, um, I mean, Mansion, who again was never truly pressured, he was never shamed by Biden, no. he was never there was no scorched earth from Bernie, the Squad, any of them uh, against Mansion. I want to read this to you. Uh, this is from a CNN reporter. Just caught up with Manchin, who set a very high bar for passing chunks of Build Back Better. In short, 
He wants to see inflation, COVID, and the national debt dealt with first. Also said, they'll be starting from scratch, and his December offer isn't on the table, whatever his putrid December offer for Build Back Better was. Quote, the main thing we need to do is take care of the inflation, Manchin said. Get your financial house in order. Get a tax code that works and takes care of the pharmaceutical that are gouging the people with high prices. We can fix that. We can do a lot of good things. Manchin added that Washington first needs to, quote, get your financial house in order. Get this inflation down. Get COVID out of the way. Then we'll be rolling. We'll be rolling this new gilded age we live in. Rolling, I tell you, if we just get inflation and the debt taken care of. Quote, <laughs> we will just be starting from scratch, Manchin said, adding that it will be a clean sheet of paper. The reason I wanted to read that is finally, finally, uh, you got some type of somewhat fighting words from Bernie. He went to the Senate floor. Uh, right. I think it was this morning. Uh, if we could play Bernie's speech on the Senate floor. I regard it as a very sad day for our country, and I mean this very sincerely, that not one Republican in this body is prepared to vote for this bill. Now, I understand why that is the case. I am in politics. I got it. I know who the leader of their party is. But this I do not understand. I can understand Republicans, but this I do not understand. I do not understand why two Democrats who presumably understand the importance of the Freedom to Vote Act, and as I understand it, will vote for the Freedom to Vote Act, are not prepared to change the rules so that that bill could actually become law. That I do not understand. If you think this bill makes sense, and if you're worried about the future of American democracy, and if you are prepared to vote for the bill, then why are you wasting everybody's time and not voting for the rule change that allows us to pass the bill? You know, it's like inviting somebody to lunch, putting out a great spread, and saying you can't eat. If you're going to vote for the bill, vote to change the rules. Mr. President, if we can change the rules to prevent a default on our national debt, if we can change the rules to confirm Supreme Court justices, we can certainly change the rules to save American democracy. That just really put me in a good spot because I could imagine like Bernie Sanders at my temple when I was a kid. <laughs> this is a really great spread. This is a great what? spread. After, after Saturday service, I mean, I wasn't religious. I didn't do that. But, you know, bar mitzvah and stuff. Uh, ah, geez, I want to nosh on these locks. Uh, you know, this is a great spread. So that was funny. But can I tell you something? Honestly, where the fuck was this Bernie Sanders seven, eight months ago? I understand there's a pandemic going on. I don't want him traveling the country, you know, during Omicron and Delta and all these things. But he didn't hold back there. He, I mean, he called them out specifically. He said, and he, I would like him to add in their donors. Maybe yeah. we could move to that. But right. it just seems like that was a somewhat more aggressive tone. Yeah, but it was. Where, where was this from Bernie six or seven months ago when it was very clear these two are not going to work for any of this? Uh, it was very clear that Biden yeah. was not going to fight them. Uh, where was Bernie Galvanized? Because the squad and elective progressives do follow, uh, do follow his lead in large part. Like, where where was this Bernie Sanders six, seven months ago? Frankly, where was this Bernie Sanders calling out Biden for not calling these two out? And again, it wasn't just these two. Manchin and Cinema are the faces of the obstruction. But there's other Democrats that agree with them but just wanted them to take the fall. But right. to me, to me, again, it, it's kind of like uh, the campaign a little bit. It, he he, he knows – like. Is he this naive that he thought if I just work diplomatically with Biden, that that was going to get things done? Of course not. So I don't know. It just seems to me I'm happy that he's kind of sort of calling out Manchin and Cinema, But this should have been done months ago. And frankly, he should be calling out Biden, too. If Biden is not going to call those two out, 
and he's going to do quick digs at you. Well, I'm not a socialist. I like him, though. Wink, wink. Uh, what do you have to lose at this point? Your thoughts? I, I agree with that. I mean, listen, there's part of me that always thinks that Bernie is sort of not not super aggressive that way by nature. Like he tends to be more soft glove in the way he approaches things. And I also tend to think that he thinks the best of people, even when he shouldn't. Like we've seen this time and time again, where he's polite back. I do wish that this guy would come out more often. I like this guy. I like it when he gets aggressive and he's angry because he's very good in that role. The other thing also is, the other thing also is, you know, at a certain point, uh, Bernie and the elected progressives, right? What you're doing is not working. What you're doing is not working. I, I never believed, oh, you're going to move Biden to the left because he's a Republican. But yeah. I did believe with enough pressure, you might buckle his knees enough to get some things done. But if you're not going to publicly go on a public pressure campaign against Manchin and Cinema, but more specifically Biden, why isn't Bernie and other elected progressives right now aggressively calling him out? I don't know. You they could should be. Canceling student loan debt. Yeah. Uh, you could be taking executive action on health care. Uh, you could be doing all these things. You're, the, the strategy th thus far of not doing that and working diplomatically with him inside the coalition has gotten you where Biden in nationally televised press conferences snickers at you. So, And also, you have the added benefit if Bernie, other elected progressives, and no, I'm not naive. I'm not expecting it. I'm calling for it, but I don't expect it. You also have the other benefit of activating your very deflated progressive base. I do believe yeah. progressives are still ready to go, but they need the bat signal from people like Bernie, other elected. They should be going scorched earth at this point. The Democrats are going to lose anyway. Against, the Democrats are going to lose anyway against Republicans. So why aren't you right now going scorched earth against Manchin? Colin, if we could put it up. Why isn't Bernie pointing out, I don't want to hear from Manchin about inflation or fiscal responsibility because this deadbeat owes his brother $1.7 million. Do you know right. this? I do know his this. Brother, his brother, Manton's brother, just sued him right. for not paying back a $1.7 million loan. So Manchin owes his own brother $1.7 so million. <laughs> and he so wants to... He wants to lecture on getting our fiscal right. house in order and an entitlement society. Uh, not to mention, okay, can, we talk about, can we talk about that for a second, Jordan? Because this is what blows my mind. He's blaming everything on inflation, like inflation's the boogeyman once again. You know, the price, the price pressures that we're now seeing in the economy have nothing to do with entitlement programs or any of these things. It has to do with the supply chain problem related to COVID. Let's not make this the boogeyman. I'm not doing anything properly for the working class or voting rights. I mean, are you and corporate me price right and cor and corporate price gouging because corporations corporate, yeah. are price gouging. Yes, I mean the the Tupper the um, top management in all these corporations are making what you know 400 times more than what the other average salary is in the corporation. Obviously, you know you can look at the salary scales where they were you know went on par like 30, 40 times more for a long time, and then they escalate right and they keep going off the charge. So the money is there. What needs to happen is the guys at the top get a freaking shave off of their salaries or they get less stock options and what have you. You don't have to raise prices in order to like increase wages for the working class. This is a bullshit argument. Those models don't work anymore. They're broken. Um, you can have Steve on tomorrow to talk about this, right? But it's really remarkable to me that that's the boogeyman right now. Everything out of his mouth is inflation. It's like, come on, man. Right. right. That, but it doesn't I, work anymore. Nobody believes that shit. Nobody believes in trickle down. Just stop. <laughs> but, but the thing is, Bernie gets very animated when going after Republicans. Mm -hmm. I don't understand. Where is that animation? I mean, Manchin, he owes his brother $1.7 million. Manchin, his daughter should be in prison. His daughter, yeah. as the CEO of Mylan, a pharmaceutical, yeah. a pharmaceutical company, was price gouging um, EpiPens. Yep. That's Where's his daughter. That? I, you know, here's the other thing, Jordan, why what the thing I can't understand, why in a state, West Virginia, right? If you look at the demographics of the state, it's a very poor state. This is a state that is suffering under extreme income inequality, more so than many of the other states. So you look at that state, you look at the primary in which Bernie Sanders won like all, every district. Right. So there's definitely there's definitely voters there that are open to that messaging. 
which sort of leads me back around to this point that the only reason Manchin keeps winning elections is because he's financially propped up by the DCCC and whoever else in the Democratic Party. He gets their support no matter what, for reasons I don't understand. Whereas if they really tapped into being the party of the working class in West Virginia, they would have a much stronger toehold. They would be a majority rule. I mean, you can talk to the Republicans there on the ground, the voters, and they'll tell you that that is a a big issue for them. They would have voted for a Bernie Sanders. They're not going to vote for a Joe Manchin. Yeah, they, they did. did. Bernie, yeah, Bernie exactly. won every county. Bernie won every exactly. county in West Virginia. And not that I'm a West Virginia scholar, but I've been there a couple of times. I could tell you West Virginia, as of 15 years ago, was a Democratic state. It was a Democratic That's state right. for a century. It was a shoot strong labor tradition, union tradition. And guess what? It shifted right because of fucktarts That's like right. Joe Manchin That's and the right. Democratic Party and the Democratic Party started shifting right. So. When That's you don't right. have a populist, when you don't have a populist alternative, the voters got hooked on to the cultural kind of stuff, abortion, guns, right. gravy, whatever. Uh, at, but when you actually have the economic populism, yeah, they might yeah. still be into that cultural stuff. But the populist policies for the working class, candidates that fight for the working class, they loved Bernie. And honestly, right. I would argue, I would argue part of why Trump was so successful in West Virginia. Yes, the cultural stuff. But he was selling them that economic bill of goods. I'm going to get rid of NAFTA and I'm bringing the jobs back. That's right. Exactly. They knew, but they see, and that's the thing. They know what they're going to get with a neoliberal bankster candidate, right? Hillary Clinton, they know what they're going to get. Joe Biden, they know what they're going to get. There's a history there, right? These are guys that are like in the, in the tank for, for the platonomy. There's no two ways about that. So, so these folks that are hurting know what they're going to get from these candidates and they're not going to win. And, you know, it's so wild to me that this is still a point of conversation. I mean, it's 2022 and we're still rehashing the 2016 primary with half of the, the you know, established Democrats because they don't they still don't seem to understand this problem. Or if they right. do, they're pretending that they're willfully, willfully ignorant of it. And it's just why we're going to I think, honestly, we're going to see a massive blood bloodbath at the uh, midterms here. I think the Democrats are in real trouble. And, you know, the last thing I'll say on this before we move on. And remember, folks, press that like button, share this stream. Uh, it's been a little discombobulated, Tina's dog and whatnot, but we love we love Tina's dog anyway. Uh, but what I will say, well, what I will say, and, you know, some people say, Jordan, don't buy naive. Don't be naive. I don't actually expect Bernie to go after Biden. I just don't. There's enough of a track record here. He wouldn't take the gloves off against Hillary. He wouldn't take the gloves off against Biden. Uh, I think. There's a lot of reasons Bernie lost in 2020, but part of it was Bernie. I think he had opportunities for that kill shot. YouTube, I mean, figuratively, not literally. Uh, I think he had opportunities for that kind of political kill shot to take Biden out. He chose not to do it. But at the end of the day, if Bernie's concern is saving democracy, right? I don't really think we have a democracy. But if his concern is saving democracy, preventing a right-wing takeover, all those things, Practically speaking, your best chance at that is going on a public political crusade against Biden, the Democratic Party, and activating your base along with other elected progressives. Because I think if Bernie does it, it'll give kind of that uh, that license for other elected pro- progressives to join him to go after Biden for not following through on your promises, to point out that all of these policies have uh, overwhelming approval that if you follow through on even three or four of these promises, even three or four of these promises, uh, you will you will likely retain power. Uh, to me, that is the best way. I think Manchin, I don't know if he could be shamed at this point. He could have been shamed a while ago. Um, but at this point, your best bet to actually get anything substantial done is publicly shaming Biden, the Democrats, Manchin, and cinema and activating your base because through activism we have seen in the past the, the few times they did activism when Cory Bush and the others, which some people said was a photo op. Well, yeah. when they did that photo op on the halls, on the steps of the Capitol and they wouldn't leave until the eviction mor- moratorium was extended. Voila. Biden extended the eviction moratorium. Obviously the Supreme court knocked it down. But the point is when they acted, when they went after the Democratic Party, because it was clear Cory Bush and them were calling out Biden to do something, it worked. Your your last thoughts on that? 
turn my mic on, sorry. Uh, yeah, no, I agree with all of that. Uh, the bully pulpit can be effective. He's not using it. Um, and I think it's not just a presidential bully pulpit. It's also, you know, like the squad, like you're saying, Bernie Sanders. They need to get into Joe Manchin's backyard. They need to make it uncomfortable for him in his own state. Uh, the people that live there are obviously suffering from these choices, whether they realize it or not. I think a lot of them do, but they feel like they're not left with a better alternative. Uh, but I think there would be a response. Uh, you know, what, what they're choosing to do, listen, the filibuster should have been gone a long time ago. We're basically, yep. ingra we've basically ingrained into our constitution minority rule in, in the country, and that's not democracy. Uh, and that's tangential to obviously all the other problems we're experiencing here. But I, I've been a big believer of getting rid of the filibuster for a very long time. And it's honestly quite shocking to me that we're still having this conversation because this isn't the first time it's been used to stop popular legislation, right? This has been a pattern. So I think, it, you know, I think we're at a place, though, now where most people agree with getting rid of it. That hasn't always been the case. But the will is there. The majority of Americans want it, want it done with. They're tired of this stuff. So for, for Manchin to get off on this sort of power trip that he's having right now is really unfortunate. Um, and it's obviously something he's enjoying, I think, for whatever mm -hmm. reasons, you know, whether it's the power or whatever that brings him the notoriety. But mm -hmm. I think uh, it's got it, we got to end it. Like something needs to be done, and Biden and, and the rest of the squad need to step up their game. Absolutely. And uh, moving on to another topic, uh, you know, Trump for many years, I didn't. I mean, I understood why the Russia, why the media was doing this Russia stuff because it instills fear and you know Cold War nostalgia in in an older audience on cable news. Yeah. But it it never made sense to me because I don't know. I'm from New York, and it was like an open secret that Donald Trump had done money laundering and all sorts of financial crimes for many, many years uh, in his real estate business. So came out the other day. Uh, let me read this from the New York Times. Uh, the New York Attorney General outlines patterns, pattern of possible fraud at Trump business. Uh, the New York State Attorney General Letitia James accused Donald Trump's family business late Tuesday of repeatedly misrepresenting the value of its assets to bolster its bottom line saying in court papers that the company had engaged in, quote, fraudulent or misleading practices. The filing came in response to Mr. Trump's recent effort to block uh, Ms. James from questioning him and two of his adult children under oath as part of a civil investigation of his business, the Trump Organization. Uh, Ms. James' inquiry into Mr. Trump and the company is ongoing, and it's unclear whether her lawyers will ultimately file a lawsuit against them. Still, the filing marked the first time that the attorney general's office leveled such specific accusations against the former president's company. Her broadside ratchets up the pressure on Trump as he seeks to shut down her investigation, which he has called a partisan witch hunt. Uh, yeah. The filing outlined the filing outlined what Miss James's office termed misleading statements about the value of at least six Trump properties, as well as the Trump brand. The properties included golf clubs in Westchester County, New York and Scotland flagship buildings such as 40 Wall Street in Manhattan and Mr. Trump's own penthouse home in Trump Tower. Her filing argued that the company misstated the value of the properties to lenders, insurers, and the Internal Revenue Service. Many of the statements the filing argued were, quote, generally inflated as part of a pattern to suggest that Mr. Trump's net worth was higher than it otherwise would have, would have appeared. Ms. James highlighted details of how she said the company inflated the valuations, 150,000 initiation fees into Mr. Trump's golf club in Westchester that it never collected, mansions that had not yet been built on one of its private estates, and 20,000 square feet in his Trump Tower uh, triplex that did not exist. Quote, we've uncovered significant evidence that suggests Donald J. Trump and the Trump Organization falsely and fraudulently valued multiple assets and misrepresented those values to financial institutions for economic benefit. So, <laughs> so on one hand, the audience will say, Jordan, tell me something I don't know. Right. <laughs> but Tina. Brand for Trump. Yeah. But Tina, to me, this is kind of what was always perplexing. I mean, I didn't really cover Trump that much because I didn't I don't I didn't have much to add to it. That right. wasn't already being covered 24-7. But they went at they, they they created this like new Cold War and like he's working with Russia, this and that. Like this kind of stuff, if you're like an investigative journalist, was there for the taking. Yeah. I mean, there was already plenty of skeptics. Yeah, there was already 
there's already plenty of plenty of skeletons out there. Uh, if you watch on Netflix, it's called the American Dream, Donald Trump story, or something like that. They had a lot of details about this kind of uh, illegal stuff Donald Trump was doing. Uh, but what are your thoughts on a? Seems like the attorney general is going after him hard uh, and yeah. his family. Uh, and B, you know, this is corruption. Democrat, Republican, he's corrupt. Uh, this sh should have been out there and you would think should have played a part in when he was running for president. He was yeah. able to kind of paper over it. But what are your thoughts on now yeah, that? That's the, that's, the, that's the heart of it, isn't it? Why was he able to paper over it? So you can't tell me that the lending institutions, the banks, all of these individuals that were, you know, the victims of his fraud weren't somewhat, somewhat suspicious that this stuff was going on. Like, I don't think that this is breaking news because it's just on brand for who Trump is. He has a history of doing these sorts of things, right? So the question to me is, why why wasn't that deeply investigated? Why weren't uh, the lending institutions that were on the raw end of the deal not saying anything about it? Was there a benefit there? I just, it doesn't make sense to me because I think this is very much not shocking and, and on brand and good for the AG, by the way, that Letitia's been doing some good work. Let's, let me just say that. I like that she went after Amazon too. Yeah. Well, the other thing also, and again, when I say open secret, I'll just, I'm not going to read this yeah, whole no, thing, but it was sort of a thing. Yeah. This was an open secret. Like this is from Buzzfeed. This is from 2018. So credit to them. They actually were digging into this secret money, how Trump made millions selling condos to unknown buyers. A BuzzFeed, yeah. new, a, a BuzzFeed News review of every sale of a Trump-branded condominium in the United States provides the first comprehensive look at how many went to unidentified buyers, uh, buyers who paid cash an indication of possible money laundering. So again, I remember when I was at the Young Turks and yeah. I don't know, I was on a panel and Cenk, Cenk was like hysterical about Russia and I'm like... You know what? There's not evidence. There's unfortunately there is no evidence that Trump. I don't think he's intelligent enough. I don't think his campaign was organized enough to work with Russia. But you know what? There is evidence of if you actually look yeah. into it. It might be less sexy. It doesn't have the Cold War theme, but right. there is evidence because there's been reporting among New York reporters and financial reporters that Trump has money laundered for for decades. For decades. That Trump, a lot of his real estate deals, he was in bed with the mafia. Uh, yeah. And all of this. So on one hand, I'm, you know, I don't care if he's a Republican, a Democrat. Corruption is corruption. I'm glad yeah. that the attorney general is going after him. Thus far, he's been Teflon Don. So I don't he's know. Been for a reason. Right. I mean, honestly, so the, the fact that, yeah. So I think that 2018 BuzzFeed article is, is sort of like, you're right. It's an open secret. Like everybody knows that this is what this guy's been doing, including the lending institutions. How many times has he declared bankruptcy on another note? So, I mean, he has right. a he has a record of doing that as well. So what is the benefit to keeping this open secret more of a secret than not? Right. I don't know. I don't know. Because honestly, I've been wondering, it, maybe there's more that we just don't know about. Well, what exactly is the Southern District of New York? Yeah. What exactly is taking so long? On Like, they should have access to his records at this point. Yeah. Um, well, what is exactly taking so long on the Southern District of New York, which is one of the most powerful local law, uh, you know, criminal justice agencies? What mm -hmm. is taking so long in terms of the state attorney general? Because, again, this stuff has been out there for decades and it makes you wonder. I don't know. Who's benefiting from the corruption? You know what I mean? Like, I, I guarantee there's probably other politicians involved in much the same way that entire Michigan situation with Flint played out. It wouldn't surprise me if you had many layers to this onion. I don't, you know, it's not just the Trump organization that is right. uh, engaged in this. So, And we also know when he was doing this alleged criminal stuff, he also was had many, many relationships with New York politicians. Uh, he had many, many relationships with federal politicians that he was donating to their campaigns. So, so when you say who else could be implicated in that, there you go. Could be politicians, uh, local, federal, uh, could be a lot of other elites that somehow yeah. either were indirectly or directly part of this scheme. But yeah. politically, politically speaking, I think Trump is way more terrified. I don't really think he's so concerned about the January 6th thing because 
I, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but I don't know criminally, like it would be hard yeah, to criminally, criminally prosecute and convict Trump because how do you prove yeah. he, unless, unless Trump infamously doesn't email, he doesn't even really use his phone. He uses AIDS phones. He doesn't text. So it's hard when criminal prosecutions, if you don't have a paper trail to prove he was part of the organizing of January 6th, like I think that would be a hard thing to prove. It's so hard, I think he- yeah. Yeah, I think I don't think he's as concerned about the January 6th committee and stuff like that. I think he's super concerned about this because it has to do with his business, his family, and potentially if they actually went after him. Uh, maybe I'm naive. P some people say, Jordan, Donald Trump will never see prison. Maybe you're right. But technically for other people, this would be stuff you'd be thrown in prison for. Oh, absolutely. It's really grotesque white collar crime. You know, but this, t I think you're right. I think that he is more afraid of this than he would be January 6th, uh, because also this could stop him from another presidential run. And yes, he's considering this. I mean, he just had this big rally out in Arizona. Or not. This could or actually, not. this could actually, no, this could actually expedite another presidential run. Because okay. in the United Corporations of America right. are <laughs> absurd laws. Uh, the only way that he technically would be able to stay out of prison, if let's say they were actually going to go after him, uh, yeah. th uh, the laws say you can't indict a sitting president. Now, maybe you could indict him for stuff that happened outside of the presidency. Obviously, this happened outside of the presidency. Mueller's investigation, which did oh. not find that he worked with Russia, but it did find <laughs> that he obstructed justice. But they said you can't you can't indict a sitting president. I don't know exactly. Does that mean you can't indict a sitting president for things he does while in office? Could you indict him for stuff he did out of office? I really don't know. But based on that Department of uh, Justice statute that you can't indict a sitting president, he might say, well, let me just run out the clock. Delay, yeah. delay, delay. Obstruct. Delay, delay. Nope, now I'm president again. <laughs> obstruct, obstruct the attorney general of New York. And then I get in there. I got the uh, the way to the the way to the White House behind me, and you know, four years in, he croaks. It's like I, House of Cards too. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I don't know, but I am. It is encouraging that you have. I don't know, maybe for political reasons, Letitia James announced she was running for governor, but then backed out of it. So I don't know. Whatever her reasons are, it's encouraging that she's going after him. That she's going after his family. And by right. the way, by the way, let's be clear. It's not like Democrats who for a long time loved Donald Trump. You remember the pictures, oh, yeah. Bill, Bill and Hillary with Trump and Melania at the wedding. You think Bill and Hillary Clinton didn't know that Donald Trump was a scoundrel, money laundering, ta tax fraud, just like they didn't know what Epstein was up to. That's so again, right. Trump is the criminal here, but it's not like all the people that he was endowing with his money um, didn't know. It's not like NBC who threw him on, you know, with that ridiculous The Apprentice, which I, yeah. I did, I did enjoy for a little bit. Um, it's not like they didn't know. Like it was an open secret that Donald Trump was a crook. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, I don't know. Uh, before before we toss to this uh, interview I did on Biden dodging the student loan question yesterday. Again, end of the press conference. Last question. He's asked yeah. directly. What do you, you know, what, what about this $10,000 in student loans you're going to cancel? He just dodged it. He didn't answer it. He didn't answer it. Yeah. Uh, before, before we toss that, any uh, parting thoughts, Tina? Cause I know uh, you've got uh, a lot of things you're working on and thoughts going through your mind on the world of politics. <sighs> you know, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned, bigger, bigger picture. I'm a little bit concerned about where the country is headed because we, we see crystal clearly now given Biden's press conference that there's not going to be any relief of the the systemic pressures that are like creating the radicalized uh, populations that we're seeing right now. That that's not going to be dealt with. He's not even acknowledging it's a problem. So my concern is this: you have neither party that's willing to address these pressures, that's willing to address the income inequality, any of these things, the the problems with COVID. I mean, God forbid we had a UBI for six months. Like we could afford this. I'm sorry, we can't. We absolutely can't. We could bail out the banksters, the banks, everybody else, we can afford to do a six month UBI so people can stay home and not you know, spread a deadly disease around. Having said that, there's obviously no will to do any of these things from either party. Um, 
my concern bigger picture is that going forward, we're going to start seeing more extremes on the edges, right? And that that's going to bleed in. I don't think Trump is the worst president we've ever seen. I think what can come later after him could be much worse. I mean, you know, I love Ron Placone's joke that he makes about the hologram of Mussolini, because that's sort of that's sort of the direction we're headed in. You know, fascism always arises, uh, you know, during times of instability and income inequality, and, and all of these things are out play right now on a large scale, and they're not being addressed. Right. So and, I have concerns. And maybe next week we will cover because the media has got their heart on. Excuse my French about Russia, Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, I know you got some thoughts that uh, Biden and the Dems are propping up neo-Nazis uh, in Ukraine. That's uh, right. Uh, that's that's true. Listen, uh, this is a little known part of the story that uh, it just doesn't get enough attention because, as always is the case with American foreign policy, there's a good good guy, there's a bad guy, and, you know, we, yay, yo, we're the good guys, we're on the side of the good guys, and oftentimes it's just not that simple and it's complex. Uh, you know, we can be pro-Ukrainian regime side because we're anti-Russia and they want to make it that simple. And it's not that simple, right? So right now in the Ukraine, you have a very um, growing neo-Nazi uh, faction there. They're definitely infiltrated parts of the NATO forces. That's not, that is absolutely not a crazy thing I'm saying. CIA is aware of it. They've talked about it. Um, the Azov Battalion, which is, is part of that neo-Nazi uprising, uh, they have brought Americans over there, and these Americans have trained with them in the Ukraine, come back here. And in fact, when I was filming the White Lives Matter uh, rally in Huntington Beach, there was a guy there, a skinhead, who had one of their tattoos on his skinhead, on the back of his head. So, And a lot mm -hmm. of people did recognize the tattoo, and I said, my God, that's the Ukrainian uh, neo-Nazi. And he's American. He had an American accent. He was definitely not Ukrainian. So... This is something that we need to be concerned with. I don't think, um, you know, it's just so freaking frustrating, though, Jordan, because it's so typical, so, so typical of American foreign policy, right? Why can't we address a complex issue that, that basically says, okay, so maybe we don't side with Russia, but we also don't have to prop up damn neo-Nazis to make something better? Right. Absolutely. And you want to know something? Uh, if the United Corporations of America has been good at propping up uh, anything, it's been uh, neo-Nazis, yeah. uh, actual actual jihadists, <laughs> uh, counter-rebels. We've propped up Al-Qaeda. We've yeah. indirectly propped up ISIS in yep. places. Yep. Uh, we don't even know who we're funding half the time. And frankly, yeah. we don't even care who we're funding half the time as long as it kind of keeps greasing the skids of the military-industrial complex. That's right. So, Maybe we'll talk about it more next week because, honestly, you're a lot more educated on it than I am. But I will definitely talk about that. Uh, without further ado, I wanted to uh, toss to an interview I did with Eleni Shermer. She's with the Debt Collective. The Debt Collective has been fighting to cancel student loan debt, to force Biden to actually follow through on his promises, not just for $10,000 in student loan debt, but to cancel the whole Thing. They're also very active in terms of canceling medical debt and other types of debt. Uh, so I uh, spoke with her about the press conference uh, where Biden completely just didn't answer the question about why hasn't he followed through on his campaign promise yeah. to cancel $10,000 in student loan debt. Let's take a look. Hey, there's Jordan. Uh, delighted to be joined by uh, Lainey Shermer. Uh, you are with the Debt Collective, uh, which has been doing great work on uh, trying to cancel student loan debt, which was a promise made uh, to a certain extent by this president. Uh, you're also uh, a writer, teacher, organizer, and currently a research associate uh, with the Future of Finance Initiative at UCLA's uh, Luskin Institute on Inequality and Democracy. So all around badass. Uh, I wanted to start because the press conference President Biden did yesterday was pretty long, uh, I think almost two hours. But at the end, uh, a reporter asked him kind of simply uh, reminding him that he had vowed uh, to cancel at least $10,000 in student loan debt. Uh, let's take a listen to what he had to say. You campaigned on canceling $10,000 in student loans. Do you still plan to do so and when? And then my second question is, now that you've clarified the Bull Connor comments, do you plan to reach out to Republicans like Mitt Romney to talk about reforming the Electoral Count Act? Yes, I'm happy to speak out. I've, I've met with, I've talked to Mitt on other occasions. And by the way, I reached out to the, the, minor, the minority leader as well. 
at the time this, that, he, that he made his speech. He answered a totally separate question and did not answer the question on uh, student loans. I don't know. I don't know if after two hours he was kind of tired or if it was intentional. But uh, at least campaigning, he specifically, I'm just reading from a tweet, uh, had said things. Additionally, we should forgive a minimum of $10,000 per person for uh, federal student loans, as proposed by Senator Warren. Uh, I could go down the list of things he has not followed through on, but I wanted to ask uh, from your guys' point of view, uh, you've been on the leading the front lines, uh, in large part, uh, the Debt Collective and other groups were responsible for at least the pause and moratorium on repayment. Uh, what was your response to his non-response yesterday? Well, the response to the non-response is it wasn't a no. So on the one hand, perhaps it's a sign of, a small opening. And the other hand is he's on brand uh, at that point, non, non-responsing, a non-response is pretty on brand uh, for where, how his stance on this issue. The fact of the matter is, is that Biden has full authority. He could this afternoon pick up his pen and sign the executive order. The debt collective has in consultation with some of the best lawyers on this issue has drafted an executive order that would cancel all of the federal student debt. I mean, he he doesn't need to go through mansion. He doesn't need to go through cinema. He could do this right now. And the question as to why he's not is, uh, I think, one we should all be asking um, at a time when he's, you know, Build Back Better is being thwarted. Uh, this Voting Rights Act tragedy is going through. Um, why he's not doing what is literally in his full power to cancel student debt in the middle of a pandemic is, um, I think, uh, it's an important question and history is going to have a lot to say, uh, which, whatever he decides to do on this. Call, call me a cynical Susie here, but let me just throw this out there. I could be wrong. You know, a lot more than I, but I do believe wall street and finance, you know, financial banks own a lot of this debt. And I'm pretty sure that, uh, those same wall street financiers, fund a lot of Democratic Party politicians and Republicans, of course, too. So there seems to be a bit of a conflict here uh, between not that they own all the student loans, but a a large portion of these uh, are owned by Wall Street. Uh, Could that play a role why he's kind of not doing anything? You know, for this case, it's actually the federal government that owns these these loans. And I think one of the things that's really interesting about this moment that we've seen right now is that under Donald Trump, the loans were paused. The federal government doesn't actually need the money from these loans. That's what the past two plus years have shown us is that they actually don't need the money from this loans. The federal government is not planning, you know, even prior to the pandemic, before the pause, most there was like uh, a, a vast majority of borrowers were in default. Um, and so I think that just goes to show that there's, there's really no reason for the government to, to turn the loans back on. They don't need the money. And even before they turned the, the loans on, put them on pause, people weren't paying them back. Um, so I think, you know, the, the, I, the Wall Street absolutely is a player in here. And I think the whole issue of private student loans um, and the financialization of the loans that the federal government has certainly uh, is a question. And we know that, that, that Biden, you know, comes from the, He's a senator from Delaware, the credit card capital of America. So that he's sort of stalling on um, standing up for for debtors uh, is not is not a surprise. No one's surprised by it. Uh, I think it's going to become increasingly hard for him to be seen as a legitimate uh, leader when he turns these if he attempts to turn these loans if he att- attempts to, to turn the loans back on. Right. They called him the senator, I believe, from MBNA uh, when yeah. he was a senator in Delaware. I also yeah. wanted to touch on, I don't know, uh, with the debt collective, I'm sure you guys talked to many students drowning in debt, but throughout this pandemic, they were also behind on their rent. They kind of got a moratorium, but that's over uh, to pay certain bills. They had to forego other bills and get behind. So it's not like even with this pause just on the student loans, 
that a lot of, and not just young people, I mean, plenty of middle-aged and older people still have student loans. It's not like they're not like buried in other bills right now. That's right. So they're already kind of like treading water and then you're going to put on top of it in May. That's uh, right. uh, Adding this kind of walloping with this. So at at some point, people are going to default. Exactly. Right. Which is exactly, I think that's exactly right. I mean, the, the, you know, there's no reason why it's just that it's a sort of insult to injury to turn on the loans after people have, you know, hopefully someday we'll come through the end of a pandemic and people will have survived and they're, they're the, the, the prize for surviving a pandemic is having your student loans turned back on uh, is sort of a, it's it's a social policy taken on by people who really don't seem to like their their citizens and their subjects is sort of how it's hard not to read it any way other than just a despise for for working class people. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you also because you know there's really been this push in the media I think right now like back to normal let's get back to normal. Well, I mean if we got back to normal let's say COVID wasn't a thing uh, you know hopefully that will be soon. Well. I mean, the normal is like you're lucky to go to college for like 30, 40 grand at this point. Even state schools are really, really expensive now. And essentially, I mean, even the job market, they're crowing and bragging about, oh, I created this many jobs. If you look at the jobs that came back, a lot of them were in hospitality and other low wage, uh, non-living wage industries. So I just think uh, it's kind of at this point unsustainable because if people are graduating, even people that are getting a master's degree, they can't get those great paying jobs that they're going to even be able to keep up with these loans or contribute to society economically in other ways. So it, it really seems unsustainable at this point. But right. I don't know, Biden, maybe the powers that be, they don't want to open this spigot of like forgiving things. Yeah, that's at the debt collective when sometimes people will say, well, if you cancel student debt, what about medical debt? You're going to just cancel that? Absolutely. Like, absolutely we are. Like, there's uh, absolutely. Next next up, no, nobody should be having to, to, to pay for the insult of not having enough money to do some of the basic things that are demanded of a, of a flourishing society, like healthcare, like housing, like education. Um, there's... So I think, you know, I'm, I'm totally on that train. The, the other thing that I wanted to say about, um, uh, now I've, I've lost the thread. You were saying something really interesting earlier, but. Um, that it was unsustainable. People can't, at a pe- certain point, people can't pay people, this back. They just can't pay it back. Yeah, exactly. They can't pay it back. And, you know, there's all from an economic point of view, there, that causes all kinds of other problems from just, it, it's, it's actually sort of, there's one way you can look at debt, the high intense levels of student debt that, that young people, middle-aged people and elderly people are carrying right now. And it's, it's on one hand, bad for capitalism. I'm, I'm not a capitalist, but if I was, I would be concerned that people aren't able to sort of make the right capitalist moves, do other kinds of investments, buy homes, um, you know, spend money, take vacations, do these kinds of things that are sort of good for the economy because of the, the debt loads that people are carrying. The other thing too, is that this is, I think you're, you're hitting on something with student debt that's really in particular is that this is a labor issue. You know, this is the, this, the notion that this is a problem that just faces sort of 18 to 22 year olds and it kind of cramps their avocado toast style or whatever mm-hmm. is absolutely wrong. And it's, it's you know, it, as you said, there's, there's plenty of people who are in their 60s and 70s and are having their social security checks garnished by their student debt payments, which is a, you know, absolutely just an undignifying crime against humanity. Um, but it's also, it's a labor issue because the price of college has increased as wages have declined. So the question of, you know, is it why college is becoming more expensive as workers are being paid less and less? It's it's there's there's becoming this big, huge problem. That's one of the reasons why the debt collective is really calling on labor unions to step up to join the fight for student debt cancellation. We're taking the position that. You know, this is actually one thing that bosses and workers could be on the same side side with. If bosses were to join the fight for student debt cancellation, it's literally a free way 
for them to make sure their workers have higher take-home pay. Um, so this is a strategy we're seeing unions start to kind of come together to demand by, to, to pressure Biden uh, to cancel student debt because they know that that's a way, a really easy way to increase people's take-home pay. Um, and I think this is, um, I, I think this is, this is how we're going to win this fight is when more people begin to realize this isn't just a problem facing sort of like a few carefree youth. Uh, it's right. like, it's, it's crippling a society, crushing and a society, me, excuse me. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I saw a union in Massachusetts of 30,000 workers just called on the president That's right. to can- cancel student loan debt. That's right. The Western Mass uh, Labor Federation. I mean, if people think education is expensive, the alternative is far more expensive. The the question of is it worth it to send people to to get, you know, to go to to first of all, we have we have a free public education system all the way up through grade 12. And somehow we've decided that that's where the program ends. And anything above grade 12, people will have to go in debt for the rest of their lives to to attend. Um, but the question of, is it worth it then is sort of a question of like, well, do we think it's better to live in a world in which more people have more information and learning? Do we think a world with learning is better than a world without learning? I certainly think it absolutely is worth it. And the alternatives of not having people who know how to ask questions about history and to be like rightly scared in the proper metrics about climate change, I think is like, that's pretty, that, it's hard to put a price tag on the value right. that that has. And I also see another element. Uh, I hope it doesn't come to this, but let's say in May, they let it lapse. You have to start repaying again. Then we have another variant down the road. Uh, we've already seen right now, it, it, to me, they kind of are instituting this let it rip, you know, go back to work after five days if you're sick, whatever. Uh, well, if you have that extra uh, knee on your neck that, oh, I got to I got to pay seven hundred dollars again a month. Uh, people are more likely, even if they're not feeling well with whatever covid uh, to just go back to work because I have to pay this. That's right. That's right. It's it's I mean, and then add the midterms in there and it feels even crazier that you're going to right now. We're all we're living under Donald Trump's world with regards to student loan policy. I mean, Biden has the has just kind of provided short term extensions of a policy that Donald Trump was the one who enacted. And so to reverse that policy months before a midterm um, is uh, hard to sort of see what the long-term political strategy is there other than a desire to, to surrender office. And lastly, this is, you know, I know you're not like a political consultant here, but is the Democratic Party interested in winning? Because I look at it like, all right, let's just say Biden is like a grandpa. You know, I'm morally against, you know, you made the decision to borrow this money. You need to pay it back, whatever. But wouldn't you think there's people around him being like, hey, we're bleeding under under the age of 30? Like polls show they're really doing pretty bad under the age of 30. Obviously, you know, black people care about these loans, too. Uh, right. They're not they're They're bleeding across the board, independence, this and that. Right. And this is something pretty simple that they could do that could at least galvanize somewhat of a base that's right. uh, to come out to come out for them. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Poll is polling on student debt is showing that it's actually quite a popular program with Democrats and Republicans. And so, you know, I think there's some real danger for Democrats should be very concerned. <laughs> First of all, they should be concerned about people who are suffering under debt. But if let's whether or not we can make that assumption or not, I, I don't know. But we know that they're concerned about keeping their jobs. And I think there's some real danger to, to imagine the world in which Republicans come to office and they are the ones that cancel student debt and what kind of realignments that would cause in, in people's political affiliations, I think is uh, an important question to, to have on the table and people should be taking seriously. <clears throat> And uh, tell people more about the Debt Collective. How could they get involved? Where could they find your work? Absolutely. So the Debt Collective is the nation's first union of debtors. We work on all kinds of debt. Student debt is just one of the sort of debt injustices that we're organizing around uh, housing debt, medical debt, carceral debt. Um, But right now, because the, the timing is so opportune, 
that student loans have been on deferment for two plus years. And that's sort of a, um, there's a lot of political pressure on Biden to move on this, that this is sort of becoming front and center in the debt collectives work, the issue for student debt cancellation. So on Sunday, January 23rd, we are having a debtors assembly and strategy session at will be seven o'clock Eastern time. It's open to everybody. And this is going to be where we sort of kick off our escalation. Uh, we're, we're having a, a day of action in Washington, D.C. on April 4th um, and uh, to get ready for May Day, which is when right now payments are supposed to go back on. So we are very much... Uh, following the words of AOC, which is it's go time on, on student debt. Um, and this is not going to be one uh, without people really in the street organizing for it. So the debt collective has a, an exciting strategy and really um, ready to organize with people. So we encourage people to, to come to our strategy session on Sunday and our day of action uh, and check out our Twitter for the, the and, and Instagram and all that for the details on this. And it's also uh, debtcollective.org. I Dick. assume uh, you have idea, uh, details there. That's right. uh, thank you, uh, Alani Shermer with the Debt Collective, organizer, activist, also with UCLA. Uh, appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It's great to be here.